first of 2022 TV. This is Geek Confidential. Melody Eagles, welcome Mel. Hey, hey. Mo Walker, welcome Mo. I'm glad to be here. And Dan Pierce is back. Welcome, Dan. How's it going? Not too bad. Um, you missed it from last episode in which I revealed to Mel and Mo that after reviewing this year's year-end categories, I've come to the decision that for 2023, when we record this episode next year, I'm going to make some changes. So, Thank you. So you are going to be able to have possibly more, possibly fewer categories, but there will be some other categories coming in the coming year. Let's kick things off with the kill them already, the character you most wanted to die or is happiest that they're already gone. Mel, who do you have? Uh, the character I'm happiest is gone, comes from Motherland Fort Salem, which had its final season this year, and it was fabulous. It would be the Camarilla's top henchman, as I like to call him, Mr. Albin Hurst. He is a character who has been the bane of my existence for a very long time. He always seemed to be one step ahead of the witches. He had a plan. He was going to turn everybody into a witch, and they was all going to have powers, and it backfired on him because the vice president, who ended up being the president for a little bit, his daughter essentially became the harbinger and death and got all of their asses, and it was fabulous, and I love loved watching him die. I watch it sometimes just to make me a little happy but that was a fabulous show i was sad to see it go but i got to see the character i wanted to die the most very satisfied who did you have as the character you wanted to die or was happiest they were gone okay so there's a character i desperately want to die however he hasn't died yet and he's actually going to be a big part of the next season i'm talking about Larry strong from house of the dragon listen I'm not here to do any sort of shaming in any sort of way. Very positive. However, there are so many issues involving consent and the issues involving Alicent and just the way he's behaving. He killed his dad. He killed his brother. He's He's been sort of warming his way up the ladder and just in a like in a just unsettling manner. And it just it really irks me. I don't I don't like this guy. He's really like, I don't even love to hate him. I just am annoyed. Uh, and I have a feeling he's going to stick around a long time. Of course, which he's going to stick around a long time. They've basically, they've merged that evil Baratheon bastard with the, with Littlefinger and they've turned him into one character is basically what they've done. He's going to be around forever. I'm sure. I don't yeah. know. I'm, I haven't read the, I have not read the source material for which this series is uh, based. Mo, who do you have as Kill Them Already, the character you want most dead or is happiest they're gone? Well, my character is Landon Kirby from Legacies, which, you know, the CW already did the dirty deed. I was going to say, aren't they already gone? Yeah, they are. But, you know, that character 
over you know the course of these four seasons of Legacy, I enjoyed the character early on, but is each with each successive season, the character got more and more annoying to the point where you know I thought that that hope landing pairing was just toxic and a drag on hope. I thought Landon and Josie were um, were really cute together, um, but Landon, he when when he died, and again he's died multiple times. They brought him back as a golem. The golem version of him was destroyed. I was hoping that we would have seen the end of him, the final time he died. But no, you have this whole subplot throughout the course of the last season of legacies involving him being and or becoming a ferryman of lost souls and so forth and i'm just like you know just they just that the the producers they just needed to grow up hair and just like cut bait with this character he was a dead-end character and you know fortunately or unfortunately you know the cw rectified that by canceling the show when the network was bought by Net Nextstar. I feel like that could have been said for three out of four seasons of Legacies, but okay. My Kill Them Already character is also from House of the Dragon, but it is Aegon Targaryen, the little twerp who raised his sword like he was some powerful person when in fact he has almost no power, but I'm sure that we're going to discover in coming seasons that he is just as much of an asshole as a later descendant of the Targaryens, Joffrey. Well, I guess technically he's not a descendant of them. No. But you get the point. Um, the Everybody needs a sidekick, best sidekick. Uh, let's see. Who did I have to start on this one? I had Mel. So Mo, you first on this. My name, my, uh, best sidekick was Pat Dugan, AKA Stripe from Stargirl. I thought, you know, we got a nice inverse of the relationship, but over the course of the three seasons of the show, you know, he literally, Pat Dugan was the sidekick to his, his stepdaughter, um, Stargirl. And I thought that, you know, as the show went, he more or less became a sidekick to all of the members of the JSA. But, you know, as good sidekicks um, go, you know, I, I think that there was a lot of character growth. We didn't necessarily feel like he was getting his ass kicked, you know, and uh, it needed to be bailed out all the time. Though, if you saw the last season of Stargirl, you know, there came a moment where, you know, he got, he got literally got in over his head. But I, I think that, um, you know, as sidekicks go, you know, I'll be, I'll be sad to see Pat Dugan go. I think Luke Wilson did a really phenomenal job in the role. We felt him as not just, you know, the, quote unquote sidekick, but as a father, a father figure to Courtney. And, you know, we saw him struggling with trying to connect with his own son. So yeah, I, I've got to go with uh, Pat Dugan from Stargirl. Dan? Like okay. I, I, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. So just as an FYI um, for the new year, 
all best practices is plugged in Ethernet cords and plugged in headsets. Um, Bluetooth. I know that people get accustomed with whatever for wireless, but from a podcasting on a low budget standpoint, um, plugged in everything always works better. Um, and that's just a general thing for everybody because I don't know what all of you guys are using. So just to limit audio issues. Okay, Dan, let's have you uh, try starting again. Okay. Uh, for my best sidekick, I actually have Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. And here's why. During the finale of the previous season, uh, they broke portal travel, making Rick effectively sort of man down, like tied an arm behind his back for most of this year. So as a result, he had to be the sidekick in every single story throughout the entire season. So we got to see more character moments during these wacky scenarios, during the Morty episodes, during the Beth episode, the Jerry episode, summer episode, even the space Beth episode got him as the sidekick. It was awesome. It was super cool. It was a really refreshing way of adding new life to the show. And I really appreciated it. Mel, who'd you have as best sidekick? My best sidekick is Thing from Netflix's Wednesday. He was literally Wednesday's right hand. You need somebody follow? Thing. You need an explosion? Thing. I thought that was such a great use of a very familiar character from the Adams Family series. And it was also the catalyst to finally get Wednesday to show emotion. Because when Thing was on the brink of death, it was devastation to the nation. So I had to give it up. Uh, mine is also thing from Wednesday. I thought I was not expecting to have so many emotions once he was stabbed. And once he, he was on at near death's door, that was completely unexpected mm-hmm. and flawlessly executed. Mm-hmm. Um, this brings us to a category that for many years has been dominated by Barry on the flash. Um, biggest frack up, uh, Dan, you first. I have Eamon Targaryen and Vagar, and the oh shit look he gave when <laughs> his dragon ate his nephew. <laughs> to this like here's the thing guys i'm team green i'm like i i just i i feel of course you are i feel for course you are dan is here's the green he is the the one who likes uh or whatever niles uh whatever her niles name was on general hospital the one that was going around and and you want to go on a rant about how i'm I'm not i'm not going on a rant i'm just saying of course you are listen here's the thing alicent and uh rhaenyra are victims of crazy circumstances. I just really identified with like the like really humanizing ones from Alicent and found her to be a more compelling character. Wait, 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 That's- wait, 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 wait. So I think that like I agree with you on that point. I think that Alicent is actually one of the most compelling characters of the show in terms of what her evolution is. I totally agree with you on that. But to lump that under the umbrella of I'm for the greens, that 
takes into account many other things, including her father, her children, and various her, other people that have listen. been. Uh, so I'm just I'm just saying I'm with you on Allison. I'm not with you on the Greens. Listen, the Cassidines are complex, and you can pick and choose the ones you want. Why can't we do the same thing with the High Towers? That's uh, all I'm going to no, say. No, 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 no. There, there are all of those people are true Cassidines except for one. So that that's the difference. Um, Sam McCall. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Yes. Uh, anyways, so uh, I I really really like Amond uh, as a character, and the the book description is so interesting because it left open this idea that this could have possibly been an accident without directly saying it. There was a lot of questions about what actually occurred in the air and for the show to fill that in and really give a compelling narrative to the later points where he's going to be looked at as a kinslayer. He's going to be looked down upon as not only a kinslayer, but the guy who killed the heir to the um to the the sea throne the salt throne uh it's just it, it's going to be a really interesting turn for a character that already just by physical appearance and the way he's been carrying himself both in sword fighting and his quips involving his you know the the toast in particular was incredible here's the uh, thing though about that and like i i think the actor is fantastic they sore assed him and did not sore ass any of the others by comparison they turned him from a 12 year old boy into a 35 year old man and they left everybody else at 18 or younger and he looks so much fucking older than the rest of them and he's supposed to be their same age look how long you've been watching these soap operas let it go yeah, I was going to say EJ DeMera. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. I, ex- I expect that from soap operas. I do not expect that from one of the most costly television shows on TV. What do you think you are watching? House of Dragon. What is what that? What I am saying is... Wait, 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 wait. Mel, did you watch House of the Dragon? Of course I did. Okay, did you, did you see how many times they jumped five to ten years or more yeah. and then they... They, along with that, they actually did appropriate cat recasting for each of those jumps. All I'm saying is one character out of all of those ended up not having an appropriate casting. But the actor's brilliant. I think that you are comparing apples and oranges. Is all I think I'll it's say. all a soap opera. Okay. So. Who, yeah. Biggest frack up. Uh, did I, I think I had, who did I have go first on this one? Dan has so it's... distressed me. I went first. Okay. Mo, who do you have for biggest frack up? Uh, the, the creators behind Legends of Tomorrow for not uh, crafting a satisfying ending. Oh, come on. The creators of Legends of Tomorrow could have um, been biggest frack ups for the last few seasons before they oh, no. got to the point of that, to be fair. I mean, come if we on. were really going to be fair. Well, mm-hmm. now, here's the thing. Now, they had crafted in the penultimate episode a, what could have been a satisfying series finale for the show. But instead, they twist everything on its head, knowing full well, you know, that you know, Mark Pedowitz, who was the head of the C, the president of the CW, was going around telling everybody, you know, you may want to wrap it up and bring the plane in for a landing. 
But no, nah, no, nah, Legends of Tomorrow, you know, we're wacky. We're cool. We're leg- we're edgy. We're Legends of Tomorrow. You know, we're just going to like. I am so glad that this is the last time I'm ever going to have to bring this up. But do you really expect that the show that has triple nipples and people's bra- <laughs> baby eggs in people's brains is the show that is going to have the forethought to actually do something sane? No. Listen, well, Luke, that's not the last time you're going to bring that up. What are you talking what about? What I'm saying for this episode, for this, like, for, like, <laughs> it, since it's no longer on the air, I do not have to bring that up. We don't have to discuss it after this episode. That's what I'm saying. Luke, Mel- we're going to be confidential until we die. You're, we're going to be hearing about triple nipples for a long time. I'm just saying in regards to content that is being produced as Legends of Tomorrow, we will not That's have to fair. discuss it. Okay. Mel, what unless do you they... have as biggest frack up? Well, Luke, I was going to say, unless they show up on the last season of The Flash. Oh, Lord. If, okay. I would be okay if Sarah showed up. No. I don't want nobody from that show. My biggest frack up is She-Hulk. Um, oh, I this really is enjoyed, very interesting. I really enjoyed that series on Disney Plus, but let's be real. My girl stayed messing up the whole show. I understand. She wanted love. I get that. Who doesn't want love? But girl, you're going to have to make better choices, okay? Because the dude she ended up getting with, they ended up getting her blood. And how much is that going to mess her up for the future? And not only that, she completely hulked out at the end of the series and now everybody is scared of her. How you gonna be a part of the society as one when everyone is terrified of you? It's not gonna work, sis. I'm so sorry to tell you, but for me, nobody else was was, was messing up more than her. And I think the other part of it was that she didn't realize she was messing up so bad until it was too late. You know, she's also the best frack up because she was able to frack Daredevil. Oh. Here we go. Luke Kerr back in the cell. Let's go. Man with that Billy Club. Uh, my biggest frack up. Okay, bye. Man without fear. Literally, um, my biggest <laughs> my my biggest frack up is the entire team of P- on Peacemaker because that was just a cascading avalanche of frack ups that everything went wrong and yet everything turned out in the end it was one frack up after another and you couldn't tear your eyes away from like it was a disaster movie in episode form and every single episode was one disaster or another of them screwing something up and yet it all turned out the buffy summers hero of the year award mel um, I have Obi-Wan Kenobi um, from the Disney Plus series, Obi-Wan. I felt like this was probably my favorite Disney Plus series of the year. They really picked up where they left off from the original Star Wars movie, and we got to see Obi-Wan in really this kind of place of conflict. He didn't really want to be a Jedi anymore. You know, the Jedi were done. It was over. He's supposed to be really looking after a young Luke Skywalker. But then, of course, his twin sister got into trouble. That that Leia, she was always a little feisty, that one. And he had to run in and save the day. And save the day he did. He did everything in his power to make sure that little girl was safe. And it's really a testament to the Jedi because at the end of the day, he was like, I got to do the right thing. I got to make sure that 
she is okay, all while facing his biggest fear with Darth Vader, with Anakin Skywalker. And the way they were able to just continue with that story and give us more of what was missing, I thought they did a fabulous job. Dan, who do you have as the Buffy Summers Hero of the Year Award? You're going to laugh at me, but I I can explain. The Buffy Summers Hero of the Year Award is Cheryl Blossom. Here's why. So, after they defeated the ultimate big bad of the season, they discovered that he had casted a spell that a meteor was about to hit Riverdale and destroy the town. Now, they could either... Uh, just prepare for the incoming doom or they could try and break the force field spell. But instead our crew of plucky superheroes here decided, wait a second, Cheryl's fire powers is sort of like a Phoenix and a Phoenix power can absorb other powers, right? That's a thing a Phoenix can do. And so they started giving their, they figured out a way to give their powers to no they figured out how to give their powers to veronica who ended up giving their powers to cheryl and as a result because veronica is like uh, a human dialysis machine with poisons non-poisons and it transfers into powers and not powers it's confusing anyways this is why i no longer watch riverdale so cheryl goes outside the diner as the meteors blaring down flies up into the air, casts her spell, and it's it, it, it's like the CW's version of Wanda. It, it, it's truly something to behold, both to laugh, to cry, to cheer, to like remember when, when this show was just like kids doing five minutes in the closet. Like, this is outside of my mind. This is outside of like the craziest soap entry that I could possibly fathom, uh, but it ended up working. But as a result, it has reset the timeline. And now starting next year for their final season, they are in the 1950s. Good God in heaven. Dang it, Dan. I was hoping they were going to do Archie versus Predator for their final season or Archie versus the Punisher. Don't get Dan started. Uh, Mo, who do you have? For me, uh, my Buffy Summers Award goes to Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan from Disney Plus's Miss Marvel series. I think as, you know, a Buffy Summers, Summers-like heroine uh, throughout the course of her six-episode season, I think she went under this uh, arc of, you know, Becoming a superheroine, you know, in in her mind, you know, just playing with the the tropes. She's, you know, she's she geeks out. She loves superheroes and so forth, but she doesn't quite understand the sacrifice and the seriousness that comes with that responsibility of having powers. Um, she, like she has her own kind of Scooby Gang with um, her friend. Um, Bruno, who also has like this huge crush on her, and Nakia, and 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 so you know, I love the fact that you know, like Buffy, we learn a bit about her heritage. Um, they did this wonderful um, 
two-part episode that uh, talked about partition and uh, Pakistan and so forth. And I, I think that it did a really wonderful job of of fans getting to know the character of Miss Marvel and getting her set up for her day her on her big screen debut in 2023 um, when she teams up with uh, Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel in the Marvels. My Buffy Summers Hero of the Year award goes to Master Chief, portrayed by Pablo Schreiber on um, Halo on Paramount Plus. I thought that. He, well, first of all, I've, I've been a fan of his for a very long time, but he is such a great character actor, and you're not expecting great, like, depth and emotion and and that to come from a character like Master Chief in a Halo adaptation. I thought he did a fantastic job. I thought that he conveyed... It's It was almost as if Stone Cold had feelings and was able to overcome them and actually have some empathy and and also express himself from time to time. It worked really well and I thought he did a great job in the role. The Joffrey Baratheon Villain of the Year Award goes to Mel, who do you have? Warner Brothers Discovery, come on down. This is your time to shine as the villain of 2022. We were all kind of wondering what was going to happen. Warner Brothers and Discovery were talking about merging. How this is, how is this going to affect DC? How is this going to affect, I don't know, everything on HBO Max. Let's see. Well, it happened. The powers combined, and guess what it cost us? Batgirl, which was pretty much done. It was in the can. And they said, you know what? We don't need it. We we don't want that. That's not important. Henry Cavill, you got to go to Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman. Nah, we don't need that either. We just got to get rid of all that. The CW, cancel it. Cancel it all. What is going on at Warner Brothers Discovery? I have no idea, but I can tell you it's not headed in the right direction. I, I am absolutely baffled by the things that I'm seeing, and it just keeps getting worse. You mean like the fact that the flash might actually happen? I mean, who knows? That seems to be the one thing they are really pushing for to happen is the Flash. And that's the thing nobody really wants to see at this point. So why keep pushing it? It just doesn't. Here's why. Because if it's Flashpoint, if the story is Flashpoint. I know, we can reset it. They can basically reset it as everything goes to black and then we start over with the new world. But I don't want to see Ezra Miller as the Flash anymore. I'm done with that. Yeah, like I, I, I I don't want to see anything about that. So it's just not going in a great direction. And I hope James Gunn can be the one to point it in the right direction. But I'm weary about that too because as much as I do enjoy James Gunn and his films, he's extremely quirky, and he makes things fit his narrative, which I don't know if that's going to work for the entirety of DC. So I don't, I don't really know where any of this is going, but I don't have a lot of high hopes. I, I really want them to be able to pull it together, but they have to be able to stand on their own and they need to stop comparing themselves to Marvel. Do your own thing. DC Warner brothers discovery, figure it out. But, 
removing your own content from your own streaming service and canceling movies that are pretty much done is not the direction we need to go in. Mo? Woo, Mel. Mel, I mean, Lord, you, you, you stole mine. So, you know, I'm going to have to go to my backup. Oh, anyway. It's okay so, for people to have two of the same thing. Well, you know, a, along that vein. Well, you can speak to the comics, Mo, because, you know, I don't know a, a lot about that. Well, to be honest, ironically, the comics have been more or less spared. I mean, the, the, they've had like a lot of budget cuts in the recent years, but this past year, you know, people thought there were going to be more cuts, but there were. But you know what? I will shift over to my backup villain who is in the same mode of villainy, and that is Nexstar for cutting. They are cutting shows at the CW. They're like gutting fish. I mean, <laughs> everything's getting canceled. That's Drew canceled. Star Girl cancel. I mean, you know, Rita Rainbow is probably canceled if 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 they, they knew it would save them some money. I mean, by the time we they get ca- they canceled whose line? Whose line? Yeah, I mean, like any show that is basically in this current regime, you know, it more or less has been canceled. So we don't know what's going to happen with. With even like uh, shows that are slated to start in uh, 2023, we don't know about the fate of Superman and Lois. You know, the Gotham Knight show, any of these new shows that started this past fall, like the Winchesters um, and Walker Independence, we don't know. I mean, they didn't get back. Um, they didn't get any additional uh, episodes ordered past the initial 13. No back, no back, no back end orders uh, for. And so we're just kind of, you know, you kind of on a wing and a prayer and it's hard to get invested in this network right now, because when all of your old favorites are going now, certainly I can understand like the flash, you know, we, we needed to put that out, just take it out back and put it out of this misery a la old yellow. But I think some of these other shows still had a bit of life in them. Uh, and it is a shame that uh, next star believes that the, you know, they want cheaper programming, but I don't know how cheaper you can get than what the, you're getting with the CW um, and that they feel like, you know, they need to go for a much more general audience in terms of their in terms of their demographics. The only, how thing much? Ma- the only thing that makes it cheaper is the fact that a lot of those seasons are on like what season three or four where things start getting complicated with renewing people's contracts for extending them and that type of thing. And when you get those shows that are in years like three or four, a lot of that stuff is going on. That's why it's easier to be canceling the older stuff because they can get new shows for cheaper with people on fresh contracts. Uh, Dan, who do you have uh, as villain of the year? I mean, Mel said it incredibly eloquently and really summed up the just anger. Uh, But I do feel the same way because we had the perfect app. We had the perfect streaming service. They hit a home run and just kept building on it and building on it like a Georgia Bulldog offense that is currently going on right now as we record. Uh, So we we know what Dan is watching. I'm not watching anything there. My phone is blowing up from people that are there. Anyways. Uh, anyways, the, 
the HBO Max app hit a home run and just already had the entirety of all of that former HBO glory, that Sopranos, that Oz, that all of these shows that gave HBO such history, such a, you know, cinematic uh, reverence that people offered to it. And, and then we had the Cinemax stuff that sort of combined and made for what it is now on top of the DC, on top of the Marvel, on top of the TCM classics, on top of um, Adult Swim and all of the Cartoon Network. It was incredible. And now they are actively looking for tax write-offs and justifying losing movies that are already shot starring Michael Keaton and Brendan Fraser. I'm only saying those two names who are side characters in order to illustrate how ridiculous that sounds. But yes, the idea that DC would keep Blue Beetle. We're getting a Blue Beetle movie, but we are canceling Batgirl. Okay. Okay. And the CW is canceling shows left and right including whose line, which doesn't actually require a budget and calling it budgetary issues, tax write-offs, all these things left and right. But don't worry, Mo, we're going to get old Yeller because they're going to be showing old Yeller alongside the Waltons because we're just getting all of these old stuff that the CW's new owners next are have been putting on. And it's ridiculous. And on top, it's all part of the same chain of events that maybe we've been spoiled, but man, those years of being spoiled were great. Do you guys remember before I even watched game of Thrones and you guys were like really on me? Like, Oh, you just need to get HBO. You just need to get, do it. And then I did it. And now three years later, this is what happens. Oh, so you're responsible for this. Okay. Uh, my Joffrey Baratheon villain of the year is Laris the Clubfoot Strong on House of the Dragon. He is an excellent villain. I don't like him. I think that it would be great if he was killed off quickly, but he's not going to be just because of the way that they're setting him up. I hate what he did to his brother and his father, but as a manipulator, as a power behind the throne or beneath the throne or however you want to put it, behind the queen, he the actor does a fantastic job. Um, so he's my villain of the year, which leads us to a category that I have a three-way tie. I ship them. I really ship them. The favorite couple of the year. This year actually had a bunch of choices uh, Dissa and Durin from Power, um, The Rings of Power, The Dwarf Prince and His Wife, they had such a wonderful relationship. She-Hulk and Daredevil, I alluded to it earlier, loved it, loved every minute of it. And then my fantasy couple, which in is could only happen in a strange new world, it would be as if Picard and Pike actually got together. That is more of a fantasy ship than a real one. Uh, wait a minute, Luke. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. That's not a real couple? No. 
They should then be, how though. how is it your... Uh, no, because no. Because they have be. unintended sexual chemistry in their scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, who do you have for your favorite couple of 2022? I have Corliss and Renice from House of the Dragon. They are so just... I, I love how layered and how in love they are that even when they're discussing their differences of opinion and his ambitions with the throne and her jadedness toward the throne, they are still on each other's team. They are so in love with each other and are so committed to their family that even though they've lost their children and they're clinging on to their grandchildren and they're dealing with the grandchildren that they are claiming but they know full well aren't actually theirs they they are still committed to their family in a way that i i really admire and i'm really excited to see more of in the next season uh because i think that they have a lot of cool scenes coming up um especially renice because she has some awesome scenes coming up and after getting to see her kill thousands of people during that coronation i i know that a lot of people were cheering i was a little bummed i was like well that there's those people really didn't deserve that but okay sure uh i don't know i i'm really i'm really eager to see more from Coralis and renice because we got to see a lot of good mo for me, my best couple is a couple that didn't quite make it, um, and that is the 13th Doctor, as portrayed by Jodie Whittaker, and Yaz, portrayed by uh, Mandeep Gill. This last year was... That is was... as imaginary as mine is Pike now. and Picard. Hold, hold on now. Hold on now. So they I'm not did saying not... I'm not saying it's not valid to have that fantasy, but that is... No, 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 no. We got a bit more than fantasy. Now, now, granted, they did not kiss. They did not end up, you know, um, having an intimate scene in a physical manner, but they had an emotionally intimate manner when they were sitting on that TARDIS, you know, eating ice cream and um, floating in outer space. I mean, it set the look between those two characters. They it gave. They gave you all the information you needed. They were in love with each other. The fact that Yaz carried the doctor, you know, when she when she was about to regenerate. I mean, you didn't need it. It was no set. It wasn't anything sexual. Okay, it was just the the amount of emotional connection between those characters. So we got that on screen. We just didn't see them actually coupling or anything like that. For whatever reason, they didn't want to go there because, you know, yet again, I guess they didn't want to, you know, on top of the fact that they've had a female uh, doctor, they didn't want to go there with the doctor being in a same-sex relationship. But to be fair, they don't really put doctors in relationships with companions where you oh. ever see them kiss anyways. David Tennant. Right, but that's an exception. I mean, David Tennant was what his doctor was walking the day. Every every time you turned around, he was hoeing around. Well that's it wasn't but, just but there's but there's a difference between there's a difference between a character where you're having him hoe around and one where 
they're in relationships. The other doctors are not in the same relationships, though we end up finding out that he's married at some point. Yes, true. And but but the other thing about you know tennis doctor, well, the previous not not, not fourteen, but his you know eleven Skeletor. But, no. <laughs> see, see, but the other thing about tennis doctor was remember you know he he lost a hand a la his version of thing where he had the hand that was in a jar that grew into a clone of his that ended up with with rose tyler strapped in an alternate reality so you you you've got that in very specific circumstances um i'm just saying that you know there's a whole lot of shippers out there for, Listen, for 13 and I... uh, yes I'm not criticizing you because I have Picard and Pike on mine, but I do think that there's an element of fantasy and a uh, wishful fantasy okay, okay. thing involved. Okay, um, Luke. Mel, who do you have? My pick was a real couple. Thanks. Um, it's another Woo. pick from Motherland, Fort Salem. I have, it was, Rail and Scylla. I thought they were super cute this season, and I really think that Scylla truly went to the ends of this earth and the next one to rescue Rael from whatever dimension she was in and bring her back so they could be together. She even saved her daddy a few times. I mean, that's love. And I just love love. Kick that ass. Best fight scene. Who do you have, Mo? For me... It was the House of Zod versus the House of El and Young Justice Phantoms. Those final two episodes, particularly episode 26, where they were battling out in Metropolis. It was, they were slugging each other left and right. They were, blood was dripping. I mean, you had all kinds of craziness happening in there. And I think that Young Justice Phantoms you know, is the idealized version of the of the um, DC universe that fans want. And, you know, I'm sorry that sometimes you don't need all that CGI. You can do an animated, big, bombastic, balls-to-the-wall fight sequence, you know, in 2D. And so that's, for me, why, uh, you know, Young Justice Phantoms, Ooh, I mean, this not just that fight sequence, but other fight sequences. It's just that I bring that up because they're just something magical, something powerful about when you see Zod, you know, go up against the House of L. I mean, it just sh- sends shivers down my spine. Ooh, I love it. Damn. For me, I am about to blow some minds here. I have... Kamen Rider Black Sun on Amazon Prime, the final fight between Shadow Moon and Black Sun, Kotaro versus Nobuhiko. Uh, it, it was a buildup in a way that the previous iteration in 1987 did, but now that it is in 2002, or I'm sorry, 2022, uh, it culminated in a way that the previous iteration couldn't because the technology just wasn't there but the brutality of the fight the dialogue between them uh the the fact that they were able to pull from their suits exoskeletons swords that didn't previously exist but because their exoskeletons are made from like 
sort of grasshopper. Uh, it, it, it was gross. I mean, he was pulling swords out of his chest because he was impaled at one point. And then he goes and just uppercuts Nobuhiko that, to end the fight. There was a rider kick involved. Kamen Rider fans really got a an awesome love letter to an amazing show um, from 1987 brought to the present day. And that fight really illustrated a lot of what present day Kamen Rider could be. Mel? My best fight scene comes from the Star Girls series finale. The JSA versus the Ultra Humanite and what was left of the ISA. Dragon King, a reincarnated icicle, they went in on that finale. Those final scenes where it was just action all the way. I was supposed to be doing something else and I couldn't even do it because I had to watch the series. It was so great. I, it was so satisfying and I'm so sad to see it go because I felt like there was so much more story to tell, but those last scenes, they used what was left of the budget at the CW for those. And it was fabulous. So star girl. My kick that ass is the prison escape fight sequence on Andor, uh, which is on Disney plus the star Wars series. The, the way that they structured that prison escape was really well done. In a way, it reminded me of Daredevil. Um, the, the first time we got to see him fight in that extended sequence in the hall, this was something similar in my mind, but in a prison where you have multiple people escaping, and I thought that they did a really good job. This brings us to the female TV entertainer of 2022, Mel, who do you have? It's a show we've talked about a lot. Uh, mine comes from the House of the Dragon. It is Emma Darcy as Rhaenyra Targaryen. That woman has a way that she cuts her eyes that is so special. That I, it makes me cackle every time. I love it. I love that she finally got to be in power. She lost a son. She's trying to conquer the world. But honey, she gonna do it on her terms and nobody else's. She commanded the screen. She is by far my favorite character on that show. And I cannot wait to see more. Dan? Well, Mel is picking Vicky, so I'm picking Dorian. Here's what we're doing. Olivia Cook from House of the Dragon is my vote on this one. I loved every little bit of her emotional range, whether that was the rage that she felt as she watched Rhaenyra get away with transgression after transgression against the throne or slapping her son and telling him to get his stuff together or like the shame she felt over her son's actions every little or bit when she went insane and sliced Rhaenyra oh I love I, I wanted her to carve her I absolutely was like no she wouldn't go do it she, oh. she talk a lot of games she ain't about it she don't want to go Rhaenyra I I was I was waiting. I was ready. I was absolutely ready. And so was her her right hand which was then ended up getting stopped by Damon, but that's neither here nor there. Anyways, so, uh needless to say, I really enjoyed Olivia Cook's portrayal. 
I think she and um, Emma Darcy have an amazing dynamic, amazing chemistry, and I hope they enjoy uh, Negroni Spagliatos with Prosecco for years to come. Mo? For me, um, my best uh, female TV entertainer of 2022 was Jenna Ortega. Come on down Wednesday, because TikTok want to give you an award. I mean, Jenna Ortega was just blowing up in all these movies and so forth, but I didn't really take notice of her until she portrayed Wednesday Adams on the Netflix show Wednesday. And I have to say, that character is like this emo encyclopedia Brown. And I'm just, I just love the body language that uh, Ortega does, whether it's, it's looks, it's uh, just gestures. I mean, the dancing, it's, it's very, very entertaining. Uh, I think that it, it's, she is part of the reason. Oh, she is a huge part of the reason why the show is big, why it deserved to be renewed for a second season. I think that um, Jenna Ortega, you know, she is just going to go leaps and bounds uh, once this show is over. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the second season of Wednesday. Mine is also Jenna Ortega from when, um, as Wednesday on um, Wednesday. She is wonderful. Like she is every sarcastic evil villain in training, but maybe not a villain if she's pulled back and does the right thing. I think she is wonderful. Flawless. Male Entertainer of 2022, Mel. Uh, for me, it couldn't be anyone else. Uh, and I'm going strictly on performance here. I have Oscar Isaac, who was absolutely incredible playing 75 characters on Disney Plus's Moonlight. I know a lot of people weren't a big fan of the show, but I really enjoyed it. And I just think the work that he put into that show, having to play so many characters and playing scenes basically versus himself with no one else. Like that's not easy to do. And I think he did it so flawlessly. I am intrigued to see where this character goes, but that is definitely the performance that stuck with me throughout the year. Dan. Uh, For me, it couldn't be anyone else, but Matt Smith. I'm assuming, you know, with me missing the movie one, he was cleaning up for his portrayal in Morbius, but then he followed that up with his portrayal of Damon Targaryen in House of the Dragon. I was really, really excited to see his him be a part of this because I I hadn't seen him in a super ton of things. I, I'm not a Doctor Who guy, so I just kind of like, oh, this will be pretty cool. And then he ended up portraying one of the most compelling and frustrating characters on television last year. I thought that his arc with, you know, whether it was his dynamic with his brother, his dynamic with Rhaenyra, his dynamic with his first wife or his second wife, like these different aspects to his person uh, really made for such a strong portrayal. And then getting to see him face the Crab King, it was such a cool fight scene that I, I was it ended up telling a lot about the character and Matt Smith really illustrated that very well. So that's my pick. 
Mo? I'm going to second it with Dan. It's Matt Smith. I mean, you know, he I've I've seen Matt Smith in a number of things over the year, not just Doctor Who. Um, more recently, he was the um, Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh on a couple seasons of The Crown. Uh, so he is used to playing these royal figures. And, um, you know, and it's so interesting to see Matt Smith as Damon Targaryen when you and and compare that to his portrayal as the eleventh Doctor. Excuse me, when I mentioned earlier that uh, that the the tenth Doctor is um, Tenant Tenant, not Matt Smith. So so you know, don't don't come at me with your hate on mix uh, mixing up my Doctor numbers. But anyway, getting back to Matt Smith, I think that his Damon is such a bastard that you love to root for. And, you know, we all made fun of their wigs and stuff, the white wigs and everything. But literally, you know, there was just some, it was just when you saw that battle, as Dan mentioned, with him versus the Crab King. And, you know, after he was just covered in just blood and guts and grime and his hair was all messed up. And, you know, you could just. You 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 look beyond the hair. You just saw you know this actor who had portrayed such a damaged character. You know who just willed himself to victory. And you know, and even in his this character's lowest moments, whether it's how he treats his first wife, how he more or less was, he was grooming his niece who ends up becoming his wife, you know, you, you still are interested in seeing this character's journey and seeing where he goes and seeing, you know, is there redemption for Damon Targaryen or is he just going to become a bigger bastard? My pick for male entertainer of 2022 is also from the house of the dragon, but it's Patty Considine. I'm not sure how the last name is exactly pronounced. It reminds me of Cassidyne, but it's Considine um, as Viserys Targaryen. Um, the scene where he comes in and makes it from his bed and his crown is slipping, his face is gaunt, he's got the cane, the doors swing open, and you watch as he struggles across the throne room up to the throne was quite possibly the visual cinematic of 2022 that scene was stunning and it couldn't have been done any better by someone else the fa everything that had led up to that moment with Viserys the he had the actor had played um set the foundation for that moment and he, he it was just perfect perfection cancel it all were already worst show of the year um i have a tie on this one um both of them have already been canceled thankfully naomi on the cw and first kill on netflix uh mel who do you have mine is first kill on netflix it has been canceled thankfully it put everyone out of their misery and i can't get those two hours of my life back dan i have the flash it's it's not a good show. I'm really excited for the final season because there's a lot of cool people coming back. Um, and I'm really excited that supposedly, according to everybody, Grant Gustin and, 
that Candace Patton are filming together and hopefully they're they're it they did her so dirty last year. I just I'm I'm I just want that show to be gone and her to get her own movie series, TV, all of it. Just all the flowers for her, all the flowers for Grants. Let's see them shine from here. Mo <laughs> Luke, we <laughs> We got a connection. It's Naomi. That was uh, that that baby. That show didn't know where it wanted to go, what it wanted to do. Ooh, Lord. It, it, there was a such promise, um, such promise. I was I was reading the Naomi comic the other day, and um, I just thought to myself, "Good Lord, they didn't know where they were going." Uh, yeah, I like Dan. I feel like you know, I watched the show, and I want to know where I how I can get my time back. And it was like. Yeah, that was like six hours of my life just gone down the drain. Thanks. But <laughs> uh, that leads us to the best new show. Still has to be a geek show, Dan, of 2022. Dan. See what you're doing with these categories, Luke. I, I, I see you. You you know this, right? <laughs> Anyways, uh, I chose Kamen Rider Black Sun on Amazon Prime. I really, really, I I was such a huge fan of the 1987 series *Kamen Rider Black*, and for them to announce that not only are they doing a reimagining, it's going on Amazon Prime, it's going to be uh, airing across the pond in in a fashionable way, in a consumable way. Uh, I was I was over the moon. Amazon Prime really did a great job. Uh, Kamen Rider Black Sun ended up taking a series that was originally just like, oh, every week there's a trap that the villains are going to set for the hero. Will the hero reunite with his brother? Oops, his brother is a villain. Uh, into an uh, an allegory for serious political issues that affect countries across, you know, such a way that I... I had never seen a Tokusatsu show deal with before, and I was just, it, it was incredible. The actors did a phenomenal job, and I really, really enjoyed the show. Mel? My best new show is Wednesday on Netflix. I thought this was such a pleasant surprise right at the end of the year. You have a series that is very familiar. Everybody has a version of the Addams Family they love. I'm a 90s kid, so I grew up with the Addams Family movies and the Addams Family values. Um, I thought it was fabulous that they were able to get the Wednesday Christina Ricci back in the series, more than one episode, doing her thing. It was so great to see her back. And then you have Jenna Ortega, who just did the damn thing. She really came into her own in this role, and this has been a big year for her. She was in Scream. She was in Studio 666, so she topped it off this year. And I love how we just were able to jump right into the action. You know, we all know the character of Wednesday, how she is. She getting sent away to Supernatural School. And you meet all of these different classmates and characters and how they all interact with each other. And it was just so charming. And I didn't feel like it was super dark. It was just familiar and fun. And I'm so excited to see what they're going to do with season two. 
I can't wait, but they really, really charmed me with Wednesday on Netflix. My best new show of 2022 is House of the Dragon on HBO. Um, I thought that this was fantastic. I thought that they avoided a lot of the um, potholes and pitfalls uh, that were criticisms for se- the final season of Game of Thrones. I thought that while it took a little while for everything to sort of gel, in part because they were doing so many time jumps, um it, to be able to tell the story. I thought that the cast gelled well once it was all in place, but what the producers did on this show at every stage through every time jump was give us elements of the characters that we recognized in the next jump. And even though I'm not a huge fan of jumping all over the place or jumping linearly, I think that they did really well, though I feel like there could at one point there could have been maybe a, another episode bef- before we jumped to the final adults um, version of it. Uh, but that's just me quibbling with what was otherwise a great show. Mo, who do you have? Mine is The Sandman on Netflix. I mean, this is a show that's been in development either as a television show or a movie Going back to the early 90s, um, it's a fairly fateful adaptation of Neil Gaiman's uh, graphic novel series that was published through DC Comics. Uh, It stars uh, Tom uh, Sturridge as Lord Morpheus, a.k.a. Dream, who is the personification of dreams and nightmares. And it really shows what happens when... Dream is captured and, you know, his creations are allowed to go run amok. And he basically, after decades of imprisonment, needs to come back and restore his kingdom. And the first season adapts more or less the first two um, uh, graphic novels in in the Sandman series. We get some fan favorites like Death. Um, We have uh, Gwendolyn Christie who has this really interesting portrayal of Lucifer, who she's also doing big things because Gwendolyn Christie is also on um, Wednesday as well. Uh, Jenna Colbin, who, you know, was a companion on Doctor Who, she uh, portrays Joanna Constant- Constantine. Um, it's this interesting take on the character. I love the fact that while the show, while the Sandman, you know, truly does... It is imbued with the spirit of the graphic novel series. It's not entirely beholden. I mean, you, you, it, it does some little nits and tucks here and there. But more or less, if you've read the graphic novels, um, you're more or less going to get the entire show. I'm glad that it's been renewed for additional episodes. They were really funny about one in the call of the second season. I think that um, definitely this is, I think, one of... Netflix's crown jewels of of 2022, and I'm really looking forward to additional episodes. That leads us to our best non-superhero show. Mo, who do you have? <laughs> it's Star Trek Strange New World. I mean, there is something at the same time. It felt very familiar in a really good way. But 
different as well. And I love the fact that Luke and I, you know, when we talked about Strange New Worlds earlier in uh, 2022, we talked about the fact that there was such a fresh take on all of the characters, whether it was Pike, whether it was Spock, you know, Uhura, and that part of the reason why I enjoyed this series so much because it was more or less a lot of done in one episodes. We occasionally got a two-parter or whatnot, but I felt like even in the midst of single episodes, we were able to get to know the characters and so forth. Um, I think that it really, you know, I think that, uh, Pike, for instance, I, I feel like we really got to know Pike in a way that we hadn't before in previous incarnations of Pike. Definitely, I think, in, in my opinion, was the best of the Star Trek shows that aired on Paramount Plus in 2022. Uh, looking forward to new episodes of the series. Mel? Um, non-superhero show, I had House of the Dragon back on the Game of Thrones sauce. I agree with Luke that it did take a little time to get going, but when it finally got going, whew, it was on fire. I'm excited to see how they take season two. Hopefully no more crazy time jumps. That was a little hard to get into, but it's okay. Everything did come together and again. There's Old houses we know, Targaryen, Lannister, and there's new houses we don't know. So I'm very, very excited to see where this show goes in the future, and hopefully it does not take the same path as its predecessor. Dan? I'm with Mel here. Uh, I absolutely have House of the Dragon. It was so cool to be back in uh, in Westeros. I loved every second of it. I, You know, the time jumps were a little jarring for me sometimes, but it really helps absorbing as much source material as possible with, uh, you know, various podcasts and people doing interviews and all like that stuff sort of helped, but then at the same time, you shouldn't have to consume all of that extra media. Uh, it is what it is. Anyways, I'm very excited for more house of the dragon in season two. We're going to Winterfell. I am so excited that we're back. I'm eager to see what the consequences of Lucerus's death are, Aemon's, uh, you know, slaying, and see more dragons. Because we've only seen, what, eight dragons so far, and we're getting 14. So there are a bunch of dragons still out there that we have yet to meet. And so I'm very excited to see how this war shapes up. My pick for best uh, non-superhero show was Wednesday on Netflix. I think that, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but I'm not generally a Steve Burton fan, but there's something about what he did with this show. That Tim Burton, every, Luke. Oh, Tim thank Burton. you. I said Steve Burton. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, right. I was gonna say Stone Cold. Stone Cold in the house. 
I'm not normally a Tim Burton fan, but there's something about how this show is shot, how this show screams Tim Burton, and yet it's not one of those ones where, like with his movies, I just am like, okay, this is excessive. There is balance to Wednesday. The acting is phenomenal. Catherine Zeta-Jones, oh my God. She is just flawless. Um, The other characters, the other students, it's a well-crafted group of friends and frenemies. Everything is really well done. And Christina Ricci, Ricci coming back was a nice touch. This leads us to the best show of the year. Uh, Mel, who do you have? Well, it's my same pick as before. It couldn't have been anything else than House of the Dragon. There was not another show that truly just took over the zeitgeist, with maybe the exception of Wednesday. It's pretty close. But then House of the Dragon. It had everybody's attention again. It felt like old school live tweeting nights on Twitter everyone's talking about I got you know a couple of family members to watch it because they missed the original series and I feel like this is a chance for everyone who maybe didn't catch Game of Thrones to jump into that universe and what better way to do it than with dragons and we're finally getting to see the Targaryens that we heard so much about because that family was such a dynasty and we only heard about it because they were in ruin by the time we saw the original series so now getting to go back into that era and there are so many dragons there are little dragons and teenage dragons and giant dragons and we get to see them fight and the families there's new families and old families and familiar faces and it's just really great when a series a spinoff can tie itself to the original and not feel like it's biting but feel like something fresh and new. And I really hope they can keep it up. Dan. So I have house of the dragon as well. And like Mel said, it became a moment every Sunday, just like it was before seeing the Twitter, seeing the memes, seeing everyone getting invested in their individual sides, a team green team, black, whatever team you've uh, represented, you are excited to see the story develop and you're excited to see it develop even further. Now that they have a budget, I'm a little sad that we're losing Miguel Sapochnik, but I'm, you know, the, the cast is so strong and it's not changing anytime soon. Uh, there's no more time jumps. I'm just, I'm excited for more. Let's go. Mo. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, we can't have a three peak cause I got to go with Andor on Disney plus. I mean, this was the star Wars show strictly for the adults. I yep. mean, when you, when you begin a star Wars show by literally shooting people in the head and so forth, it is not for the kiddies. And you knew, if you recall Rogue One, which this is a prequel to, Cassian Andor was not necessarily the nicest of people. But beyond the story of Cassian Andor and, you know, how do we get from the Cassian Andor who starts, at, who, who we're presented with at the beginning of Andor all the way to the Believer. The, the spy master that we get in Rogue One, 
you know, is, is this very interesting journey. And over the course of these 12 episodes, we not only start to see how and how Cassie and Andor starts to believe in the rebellion or why it's important to um, re rebel. You also have these moments of how the empire is truly it's 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 just as scary with you know the people the bureaucrats are just as scary as Darth Vader and the Emperor Palpatine. I mean, we don't get a whole there really aren't any lightsabers in the show, but you know, there's this feeling of dread that the empire is going to grind you up. You could be doing whatever, you could be not even you, you're not even plotting anything. You're just living your life. But the, if the Empire wants what you have, or if you're in the way of the Empire, they're going to grind you up and keep on moving. And I think that it it talks about these political movements and issues that we're dealing with in current society, you know, about uh, fascism and so forth. And it's all wrapped up in a show about at the end of the day, ray guns and so forth. And if and I know that Luke is a fan of that final episode or the twelfth episode, and how you know the the folks just finally decide that they're just gonna rebel against the Empire when they after they the loss of one of their own. You know, it's it's a very moving and very powerful scene. And I look forward to the next 12 episodes of Andor uh, in which you kind of wrap up this tale. And again, this is not the Star Wars show for everyone, but I do think that it deserves, you know, its flowers just like the Mandalorian and, so, and uh, some of the other shows. I think it's, I think it's interesting that in theory that at least for me, the best Star Wars movie is Rogue One and the best Star Wars TV show is Andor. Like, the quality of those two and what goes into them far exceeds everything else that you get when you're just telling a lightsaber story. There's something about Rogue One and Andor that is just so far above the Luke and Leia story like i i don't understand why it's that way but it is this might be a tip-off i agree with mo and or is my show of the year that show did so much like on the movie podcast i talked about how the batman provided so much social commentary um on what we are going through today or have gone through in recent years and and or was the same except for they put the twist of it being in the star Wars universe. The acting was phenomenal. The intensity was perfectly fine tuned every single moment of every single episode. You, there were characters you hated, but yet you still wanted to see what they did because they were that good at being smarmy while trying to be good and there were people who were ruthless, but they had reasons for it. There was 
there was many levels of identities of when since we're living in an era or they are living in an era in which so much subterfuge is is beginning to creep out up the we got everything from Andor's story and what he was trying to do through to what was happening from Andor and his mission to a story about what's taking place in the Senate and everything in between. And we get a story in which a random act completely changes Andor's trajectory and yet they were able to br- still bring Andor all the way back to the very circle and back to the 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 ethos of the show. It was fantastic. It was my show of the year. Uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds was my honorable mention for this category. Any quick honorable mentions, one per category if you have them? Dan? Uh, no, I, I don't have any. Okay. Mo, any honorable mentions? I do have an honorable mention. That's Superman and Lois. Um, I think it, the second season was a bit controversial because of some parenting choices by some characters. Bad. Look, I'm not, not going to go into that right now. We had a whole podcast where we talked about that. But what I will say and what I will continue to say about that, I think it is the most contemporary version of Superman we've gotten, well, relevant version of Superman we've gotten a long time. And I think that it's it's a testament to the acting between um, Bitsy Tulak and, um, and I'm, I'm blanking. Tyler Hoechlin. Thank you, Tyler Hoechlin. That, you know, that chemistry between them and the dynamic between that family unit that keeps me and others invested in that show. Even though we see a Clark Kent who is fallible, who is human, even though he has the power of a god. Mel, any honorable mentions? I uh, just had one. I want to give a shout out to Jenna Ortega because she was definitely my honorable mention for female TV entertainer of the year. This 2022 was a year. Um, as I mentioned, Strange New Worlds was my runner up for show of the year. But there is one show that came in second on so many of my best things for best non-superhero show. Um, the Rings of Power could have been it, but was just edged out by Wednesday. Best new show, it was just edged out by House of the Dragon. I think what they did with Rings of Power was amazing. It was stunningly beautiful, and the acting was fantastic. It took me back to the movies. Um, I know that it, there was some controversies surrounding uh, Galadriel and other characters, but I ate that show up and allowed myself to be swept along in this stunningly beautiful visual of a show. It deserves so much credit, but it always just came in second to so many things. Uh, So that is my honorable mention. Um, We'd encourage you to comment on this episode at geekconfidential.com. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. You can also join our Facebook group, the Geek Confidential Facebook group, where we post stories and discuss stuff throughout the week and day. Um, It's fun, little hangout place. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Luke underscore Kerr. Mel is at Melody Akles. Mo is at Dr. Mo 77. And Dan is at Real Dan Pierce. We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. Bye, y'all. Bye, everybody. My name is Wednesday Adams, and I'm a coffee importer.